You're listening to the Seek, Go, Create podcast, a part of the SGC network. For those looking for excellence, moving towards success, and creating something new. And here's your host, Tim Winders. Welcome, everyone, to Seek, Go, Create, Season 2, Episode 2, kind of titling this, What to Do with All My Stuff. And this is something very interesting that we're dealing with. This is in society, and this has really not as much to do with being a nomad or even having a lifestyle of travel, but this is just kind of where we have arrived at, and that is that we, as families, individuals, as a culture, have just accumulated so many things, and it's gotten to the point now where we have not just filled up our homes, and in our homes every drawer is full, every drawer is full, every closet is full, we've even filled up spare bedrooms and spare rooms with our stuff, I'll use the word stuff a lot, but that just includes a lot of things, and we may talk about that in just a few minutes, but let's just call it stuff for the purposes of this of this uh, podcast, and we've just accumulated, 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 and and even so much so that we have filled up not just our homes, but we've spilled over into our garages. I saw a statistic recently that less than 40% of all garages actually have cars in them, and I'm sorry I don't have the actual uh, resource for that statistic. It could be correct, could be incorrect. It seems like it might be right, just based on a lot of homes that I see, and our homes and and the way we lived and that is that garages are now filling up with stuff of course for those that have terrace levels or basements or attics we fill that up and we've even gone farther than that the storage warehouse industry is a huge industry especially in first world countries like America and others I have friends that have recently purchased storage facilities and they're doing very well because after we fill up everything else, we then go out and rent space so that we can put our things there. And so we just continue to accumulate items. And and that's kind of where we're at. I believe that anyone listening to this is not going to be in denial. They might be in different phases or stages of recognizing where they fit in. Some of us might be saying, yeah, I've got a I've got a number of things, but I need these things. Or some people might be looking around going, I don't even know what to do with all of this. Or some people might have recently had to deal with a family member or someone that was deceased or passed away where you went into that home and had to had to clear it out, clean it out, which was probably a challenging situation. We've had to do that in the last probably in the last 15 to 20 years, a few times with family members that had passed away and we went into those homes, we found we found hundreds of mayonnaise jars. We found, uh, we can't even count how many plastic butter container dishes that were kept and never thrown away and, and things like newspapers and magazines and just just things that we don't want to get rid of. And so I think that everyone kind of recognizes this is as an issue. It may or may not have have a level of pain for many people listening in, but just just kind of know this, that at some point we're going to have to do something with all of this. And when we went through our our situation where we were forced to downsize, forced to move out of the 5,000, almost 6,000 square foot home that we lived in, 
and and really pare down all of the things that we own we realized that this was an issue for us and so so we were going through the process of downsizing and i'll talk about it more towards the tail end of this podcast how we did that the process we went through how we got on the same page as a husband wife and a family which wasn't easy i'll just go ahead and say that right up front and then and then shortly after that when we kind of left where we were we went and stayed with my parents for a short period of time before we began doing our our nomad travels and kind of looked around their home and realized that they had a fairly large home they had been in it for over 40 years and every nook and cranny was filled with things it didn't feel cluttered it didn't feel uh, like a hoarder type house but it was full all the cabinets were full with dishes and mugs and cups and utensils and closets were full with clothes that sometimes were 15 20 30 years old hadn't been worn in a long time and truthfully were never going to be worn again so those were some things that we observed and just one other thing but kind of before we get into the how did we arrive at this place that we're at in our culture we dealt with real estate for a number of years we dealt with rental properties we did lease all lease options we we bought homes that had been foreclosed and and many times we would have to go into those homes and do fix up or repairs and when people moved out that were renting we would have to clear out the things that were in there and i'll tell you if you've never done that it is a good study in human nature not necessarily a positive study in human nature but a good study to kind of let you know how as humans we we just accumulate things i remember one story in particular we had a had a fairly good size split foyer home it was about four bedrooms two and a half three baths split foyer for those that don't know you walk in and steps go up steps go down there's a level up and there's a level down it was three bedrooms two baths up had a bonus room and a laundry room and also another sort of bedroom and garage on the lower level and we had some people that moved in and we kind of knew there was trouble right when they moved into this property because basically they stopped paying almost immediately and and you know we were trying to get them to pay and going through the eviction process and going through all the the things you have to do these people ended up just to embellish this story or to add to this story I guess might be the best way of saying it they they never really got power hooked up and they somehow were able to rig to get um, to get power via the box I don't know if this guy was electrician or what but anyway they were they were doing a lot of things that were clues that that this was not going to end well and not going to be a good situation they were really technically only there around 90 days if i remember correctly and and then they they actually moved out about the time that we thought they were going to be evicted or when they thought they were going to be evicted which the eviction process for those that do not know is when the sheriff shows up and it's gone through the court system and the legal owner of the property can now say that whoever's in there needs to move out and so they moved out and and our first you know, group of people we had a family business a number of us worked together went in looked at the property said we've got problems these people had left massive amounts of things in the property and so it was kind of like all hands on deck we all went over we were helping to clear out this property so that we could get it cleaned up fixed up and ready for the next tenants or the people that were going to move in and I remember going into that property and the first thing that came to my mind was I did not see how someone 
who had only lived here for a short period of time could have brought in this much stuff. I remember going into the laundry room, which was not the size of a bedroom, but it was not a little closet either. Maybe a 10 by 10, maybe a little bit bigger than that. And there were literally clothes, wet, damp, very smelly, moldy, mildewy clothes stacked up so high in the floor of this room, dirty clothes, that you couldn't see the floor. And, and of course, there was just a lot of other nastiness that was associated with that. And the garage was full and other things were full. And there was a pretty long um, carport or driveway on this property. And one of the first steps is to clear it out, get everything out with the eviction, put it on the driveway, which gives a period of time for the people to come back and get their stuff before it's made available to the public just to pick it up off the side of the road. And then as the owners, you can actually go ahead and, and take it to the dump or bring a dumpster in and whatever. And I remember the driveway being completely full. I mean, just spilling over everywhere of things that we brought out. And, you know, some of those things go into how we think about stuff. I know many people may not have been through that process, but that had an impact on me. I remember looking at this and probably when I went back home, I looked at my things and I thought, do I really need all of this stuff? And, and I guess that's really kind of a little bit of the purpose of this episode of the podcast is to just get people thinking about the, the mindset that we have. And towards the tail end of this, I am going to go through some very practical tips on how we went through our downsizing process. But initially here in the first part of this this episode, what I want to do is I want to kind of talk about how did we get here? I think it's good to understand um, from a practical standpoint, from a psychological or mental standpoint, how we ended up with where we are in our culture with just basically that we have accumulated so many things. So let me just go through a few, and this is not all inclusive. It's not going to include everything, and I'm not a I'm not a psychiatrist or an analyst or anything like that. I'm just going to give some observations that I've seen during the course of my life in business and personal and with family that have led us to the place we are with accumulation. Because not all of these are necessarily hoarders or, or, or the, the type people that you see on TV shows, the reality shows. Many of these are actually just a process that occurs over time. So the first one that I want to talk about is just something that I'll title here a depression era mindset. And that's a fear that you're never going to get things again or that you may lose them during some depression type event and never be able to get them. And the the example that I like to use here is with my grandfather. Um, I called him granddaddy and uh, he lived in Mississippi, had a small, nice, small home there and had him a storage shed out back, and and my grandmother was very neat and orderly, so you would have never detected a lot of clutter in the small home that they lived in. But if you were to go underneath the crawl space of where they lived, my grandfather had lawnmowers, tools, all types of things that he would not get rid of and not part with, even though many of them may not work, they didn't work, but because of the time frame that he lived through, 
he did not believe that one should get rid of tools or, or again, lawnmowers, mechanical equipment and things like that because there was this fear that there might be something that occur and you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to get those things again. And, and I think a lot of people have that fear and a lot of it might be just because of the way they were raised or they might have been raised poor or they might have gone through tough times. I actually had, and, and my dad and I have kind of joked about this, my dad, because he grew up in a shop and, um, and, and has a great mechanical mind, is able to repair a lot of things, he has difficulty parting with things like that, lawnmowers, mechanical things, even vehicles for many years, because he always had this thought of, I'm going to fix it up. And there was a time period up until recently where my parents had multiple vehicles parked out on their driveway that didn't run or they might have barely run or they might start but not really be drivable and would never pass inspections or things like that. But he just didn't want to get rid of them because in his mind, he, he was thinking someday I'm going to fix this up and we'll have a car that'll work and a grandchild or child or someone might need a car that'll run or lawnmower or something like that. So that's that's something that I've seen and observed a great deal. And the example that I used earlier where we went into one of my wife's family members that had passed and and we found, I can't even begin to remember how many plastic butter dishes that they just didn't want to get rid of, plastic or glass, glass mayonnaise jars and plastic butter dishes. So. Anyway, that's just kind of a fear mindset, depression era, kind of a fear mindset that I think we need to be mindful of because many of us have tinges of that that makes it difficult for us to go through the process of getting rid of things because we're just holding on to things because of a fear there. And related to that is kind of this next statement that I'll make. It's not totally fear, but it it might have a little bit more of a positive spin on it, but it's the statement of, you never know when you might need it. And I've got family members that I hear say that often. It's kind of become a little bit of a joke for me. It's like, you never know. You never know. You never know. Well, we might need to keep that because you never know. You never know. You know, you might need to keep that 1970s leisure suit that's full denim or triple knit polyester because you never know when that style might come back. Now, you can't wear that anymore because you're never going to be that weight and that size again, but you never know when you might need that again. Or a related to that is you never know when that might that style might come back and it might be valuable. And and I've heard that time and time again. Some of you might have even said thing to yourself or you have something like a a dish or a mug or a set of dishes or something that was a collectible and it, it may or may not have value now, but you hold on to it because you believe it may have some value. You never know. That might come back, that style, that value. It might come back and you never know. You might, you might need it in the future or it might have value. So that's another mindset that's very interesting to me. And then again, kind of piggybacking on that, you might foolishly think that stuff has value. Um, quick story on that. We, we cleared out a number of things in, uh, in my parents' home and found out that tucked away in cabinets and all, my mother actually had 13 full sets of dishes in China. And 
one of the things that she thought was that some of this might eventually have value. Well, there's a lot of interesting companies out there where you can check this real easy right now. Um, for things like that, collectibles, dishes, China, um, fine China, things like that. There's a company, I believe it still exists, but a few years ago, replacements.com. They've got huge, massive warehouses up in Greensboro, North Carolina. I believe at the time that we went up there, they had like seven football size warehouses that they kept replacements for China and dishes and stemware and collectibles and things like that. And so many people hold on to things because they think that it will have value someday. And one of the things that I'll just tell you our experience is there's a lot of those things we thought they were worth something, but when we really checked, they weren't. Now, I will say this. I know some things have some sentimental value, and I'm probably not the best person to speak on that because my, my family, my children will tell you that dad or Tim or <laughs> that he just doesn't have a lot of sentimental value for things. And kind of the joke is, is I'll take a mug that we know that this was Granny's mug and that she drank out of it. But, you know, Granny's in a better place now. Does, do we really need to keep this mug just because it's Granny's mug? And some of you are listening to this and you're going, but but Granny would have wanted us to kept it and keep it. And I don't disagree with you. But, you know, that's just kind of the analysis that you have to go to when we talk about practically you know, eliminating things. What do you, what do you look at as value? Does it have a sentimental value? Does it have an actual value? And we'll talk about kind of how to go through that process in just a moment. So the other way we've arrived at this is foolishly thinking that stuff has value. The next thing that I want to talk about is how we've come to this point is really kind of going beyond our mindset and our thought process. And that is what I'm going to call the marketing machine that forces us to accumulate or it encourages us. No, we can't be forced, but we can be highly encouraged. And this, at the time of recording this in 2019, we're at a time where Google and Facebook and so many things online, so many things are tracking where we go, what we buy, what we look at, what we click on. And we're even having items in our homes um, where they're listening in and things like that. And I know that's controversial and I'm not going to get into privacy and things on this episode, but we have all of that going on so that if you are clicking on something like at the time I'm recording this, my daughter and, and, and son or son-in-law are about to expect their first child. And you know that she's looking for baby things and, you know, all the algorithms, the tracking mechanisms, they know that she's expecting a child. They probably know that it's due in just a few months and they are marketing hard to her things that she must have if she wants to be a good mom, if her child wants to grow up happy and content and, you know, contribute to society. And that is the marketing machine. And listen, I'm a business guy. I've done marketing on Google. In fact, in this just this afternoon, I'm going to be doing an ad campaign for a client that we're doing some promotions and we're going to be looking at Google and Facebook. So I understand how all that works on both sides. And let me just tell you that the words that I use, it's creepy and it's cool at the same time. So, so, but here's the deal. It is tracking everything you're doing and they understand how human nature works. And they know that there's something called dopamine 
and dopamine, dopamine, however one pronounce it and pronounces it, and that we have this fear of missing, missing out. We have all of these other things I mentioned earlier, depression mindsets, fear, you never know when you need it, foolishly thinking stuff have value, and that we get this jolt of dopamine every time we buy something. It may not last very long, and there could be a regret, but they are feeding on that constantly. And we have to understand that that's what's working. And that's what's really working against us. Because really everything about our culture, our economy, our micro and our macro, and really our global economies, they, they thrive and they continue working when people are buying. And we just, we kind of need to understand that. So if everybody went to these minimalist or essentialist mindsets, we could see the economies grind to a halt. I'm not saying you need to keep buying because of that, but that also feeds kind of the last thing, which was probably something that I realized that I had, and that was just this need to impress other people. You know, you buy things to impress other people that they don't really care, but you think that it's important, and so you're just accumulating things so that other people can see what you've got and it impresses them and uh, you know I think we know how that works all of that really feeds into what I just mentioned earlier which is the consumer accumulation culture that we all live in if we're in a first world society we've got devices we've got things and and it's not like we need one thing we need multiple it's not like we need one TV we need multiple TVs it's not like we just can operate off a computer. We've got a desktop like I'm looking at right now. We've got a laptop. We've got, a, we've got iPads, which I've got right here. We've got phones. All of those things feed into the culture that we're in. So we have to, if we are not going to be, I guess, negatively impacted by that, it takes a concerted and very difficult and challenging effort to work against that. There is a strong current that is basically forcing people to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And if you're going to swim upstream, you have to think differently, act differently, and have the mindset to stop accumulating and really to eliminate. And that's the place that we were in. I shared earlier in other episodes that we needed to start cutting back on things because we were going to have to move out of a large home. And I will say this, I'll go ahead and mention a few books here. There's a lot of words for this. Um, minimalism is a word that's been thrown around quite a bit by a number of people. A guy named Josh Becker wrote a great book. Maybe we'll include that down in the show notes, a link to that called Minimalism. And I, I like that term. It's just talking about being a minimalist and not a maximalist, maximalist which is the way a lot of us have lived in our society. Um, another book that's a good reference point, Greg McEwen wrote a book on essentialism. Truthfully, I like that word better because it, it kind of speaks to looking at all facets of your life. What is essential? What are the values that are important to you? What are the things that you actually do that you may, may not should do anymore? You may eliminate, may need to eliminate from your lifestyle and your habits and and so Greg McEwen's book is a little more on essentialism. Both of those are excellent, though, on the journey if you're just trying to impact your mindset and, and understand more about why and how one, uh, one should do this. So study up on that. All right, so now that we know 
how we all got here. For the last few minutes of this episode, I am going to talk about how we went through our process of downsizing. And let me right up front say, this is tough. It is hard to swim upstream and it's very difficult to do it if you're if you're married, if you're a couple, or it, it just takes a lot of energy. I'll just go ahead and say, um, my wife and I have been married for many, many years when we began this process. I believe it was 20 plus years, almost probably 24 if, I, if I'm doing my math correctly. And let me just tell you, it causes some tension. It can cause a few arguments and it takes some compassion and understanding and patience. So just be fully aware of that. It's not one of these things where either guys or ladies or whoever is in a couple years says, we're going to downsize and let's get on board. It, it may be a little bit a little bit more challenging process than that. So it takes quite a bit of compassion and understanding. So here's the process. Again, we were, we were kind of forced into this. We, we knew that we were supposed to downsize. We knew that there was a chance that we wouldn't be living in our home. And in my industrial engineering business, very matter of fact, not necessarily sentimental about things process, mindset, I thought that we would downsize over the course of a few weekends and be done and that would be it. Let me just go ahead and say it took a few years to actually go through this and and really it's in stages. You know, we took certain things. The first thing we did was we, you know, looked at things like our closets and I'm kind of kind of one that constantly looks in my closet and say, okay, some questions like what have I not used in the last year? If I haven't worn in a year, what are the odds that I'm going to wear it in the future? Start getting rid of things that way. Going down to the storage area where you've got things tucked away. And I'm kind of a neat freak. So even though we had a lot of things stored, they were pretty neat and orderly, like in Rubbermaid boxes with names on them. And some of you are going, okay, we're not that neat. So it might be tougher. It might be easier depending on that situation. But we would just go through things and we would just chunk it down and take it step by step and and we would look at things and we would ask questions like okay this goes in a pile that we no longer need and and it would be stages you know in a room or decorations christmas decorations we were we were maxed out on decorations my wife in the home we're in we had 13 christmas trees yes you heard that right 13 christmas trees it was beautiful she did a great job our home was decked out and it was a a great place to spend Christmas and just as an aside there were often times that we would decorate late October early November and many times we would not undecorate until yeah we'll say March April sometimes even later so don't judge me don't get upset at me but that's just the way our household was because we didn't we did love that Christmas time and so we had to look. We had a lot of Christmas decorations. If we weren't going to be living in this large home and we're going to be more mobile, did we need all that? What to do with it? So first step is to just begin. Look at the junk drawer. Look at your closet. And maybe look at, if you're a couple, look at things that you have control over that may not be decisions that both of you have to make. What can you put in the pile? Leave it in that pile and say, keep it or get rid of it and maybe even leave it in the pile for a few days or weeks so that you could ponder it meditate that type thing okay it's been in the get rid of pile for a little while 
The next step is, what do we do with it? Do we give it away? Do we throw it away? You know, I don't like the throwing away because a lot of these things are going to fill up the, the landfills and things like that. So I recommend, you know, have a garage sale. Try to sell it. Uh, I, what we found, because we had what we thought was a lot of nice furniture, we thought we had a lot of nice things, we thought we had a lot of things that might be worth money. My wife had a lot of kitchen things, and she was a cook, so a lot of things in the kitchen area, a lot of decorative items, you know, all those things. We thought that we could make a few dollars, and we were challenged with money, if y'all remember our story. We were, you know, businesses were going down, and we were, you know, threatened to be kicked out of our home. We, we needed money, and so we said, let's have a garage sale, or let's do an online sale, or sell it on eBay. Our experience is this, and I don't want to you know, be a bummer if someone thinks you're going to make a good bit of money from selling things, is that there's just a, not a lot of people that are looking to buy those type things in today's world. The generations coming behind us, we're in our mid-50s, we were in our late 40s, early 50s when we were going through this process. Our children, they looked at this because we asked them first, do y'all want any of this? And they nodded and said, no, we don't want it which hurt our feelings a little bit at first. But anyway, we just realized that there is not a lot of demand and it's difficult to sell things if supply and demand is out of balance. All you business people know that. And if there's a lot of supply and not much demand, then you're, you're not gonna get a lot for it, bottom line, unless you have some specific niche items or things of value, you know, the things that were interesting. My wife did a lot of crafting and she had stamps and things in her crafting um, crafting room that those actually brought in some more money that were easy to sell on eBay and places like that. But you can do some quick research now online to see, but I'll just tell you, quick research, garage sale, and then after that it may be donating it, donating it to other family members, donating it to Goodwill, donating it to someone who might be getting started or something like that. And so that's the process we went through and we just gradually went through that. I mean, we had, I mean, just a couple of things just to address here. Uh, we had, this was 2011, 12. We had a massive table that we filled up with VHSs and DVDs from our children that we had accumulated over the course of their, over the course of their growing up. And I'll just tell you that we thought we might could sell those. Very few of them had value. Very few of them had worth. And so we just mostly gave them all away. And some of them even goodwill and all, they don't even want them. Uh, another thing that we, uh, we noticed, we had a lot of furniture and things, and we just did a little mini website and had a lot of family members and all just come get it. People that we sent it out to friends and family and uh, so that was interesting. I've already mentioned China and things like that. We found replacements.com. Um, another thing that was that was interesting that I, I guess we need to talk about, and, and that is pictures. You know, we had our, our children, they were born in the early 90s, and we didn't start digitizing. We didn't have digital cameras in our family until around 2002, 2003. And there were a lot of snapshots and pictures taken. I mean, we had boxes and boxes of these. And so we just took the time, got a little digital scanner, and I did most of this. We just scanned them, made them digital, 
put them up on the cloud, put them on a hard drive, a few hard drives just to keep and store. And we ended up digitizing all of those things. And it ended up being, we were counting up to around 25,000 images. By the time we gathered things from other family members and, and some of our older images that we were wanting to try to store and did it with slides and things like that, we were well over 30,000 images, which is a lot of digital space. But we're so excited now as we travel, we've got all of those things digitized. There are companies that you can get to do that for you. We did all of that ourselves and, and we're real pleased with, with how that turned out. So anyway, those are just a few items that, that we went through that process. And, and let me just tell you, it's a long process. And if you don't necessarily do your whole household and all that you own and get it down to where, like us, you can fit it into just a small, small storage unit or, or an RV like we live in, I, I will tell you this, at least get the process started because it's going to be a blessing to your family down the road, many, many years down the road, when and if, you know, you, when you pass away, for someone to have to come in and clean up. We've done that a few times and it is not fun to clean up after someone passes away. Go and start doing that now. And one of the things we noticed was just how liberating it was just to get rid of things and how much it simplified our lives and how easier it is now when you look in your closet and you just have a few things that you feel good about putting on and wearing and as opposed to just a bunch of stuff that you look at and go, ugh, I don't even like that. Or or just, you know, you have to carry around things that that really aren't that much value. So so those are a few tips and, and tricks on that. Now the next step is to kind of ask yourself these questions that kind of helps you pare it down and then what do you do with it and how do you store it and things like that. I, I think with every item, especially items that have some value or you think they do is, you know, number one, ask yourself how much is it worth? Um, how much, how much does it cost us if we want to store it? My wife really got tired of me asking that question. And that was, I'm going to kind of hold something up here, like a water bottle for those that might be watching this on video. I've got a water bottle in my hand. So, okay, how many of these do we have? Well, we've got 22 water bottles. Okay, do we need 22 water bottles? Do we need them? No, we really just need one, maybe a backup. So two. Okay, great. So with all these other 20, um, do we want to store it? Do we want to get rid of it? Okay, let's get rid of it. Okay, great. Um, that, that's excellent. So what do we do? Sell it? Do we store it? Whatever. So that's, those are the questions we were asking earlier. But let's just decide, let's just say we decide I'm going to keep one and then do something with the other one. Do we, do we store it? Put it in storage. Do we store it in our home where we live or we're in an RV so it's much different? So, so you have to ask yourself that question. And then there's this tough question of how much does it cost to store it? Well, we, we got a storage unit. And it's not a very big one, but it costs something every month. So there's a dollar amount attached to storing everything that we have, which then leads to the next question. How much does it cost to replace it? Water bottles are just a couple bucks at Walmart or any other place like that. Unless it's a, a special water bottle that can't be replaced, I could argue many times that it's better just to donate it, give it away, do something with it, than to store it because it is costing money to store that. And I know those are tough questions to ask, especially if you're, you know, you're asking about things that are 
may have been owned by someone or might have memories from your children growing up or they might have played with this train set and and things like that but those are some of the things we went to is it tough absolutely is it a challenge yes it is is it rewarding at the end of that I would say 98% yes you know there's a few things that we probably got rid of that a conversation came up later that said you know we may not have we maybe maybe should have kept that um, but but again it's very liberating and very enjoyable when we finally finally get to a point where we feel very mobile we don't have a lot of things and really it's almost like you begin building momentum that you start asking your question ask yourself questions before you even buy anything you say you know what is this one of these things that's going to go into a place or go into a drawer and and then a few years down the road we're gonna have to get rid of it and that's a good place to be because that's when you've kind of overcome that swimming upstream from the marketing machine the 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 accumulation society and you're kind of ahead of that game and really you're living a life that's very different from most others in society so anyway I just want to wrap up this episode with just a few questions to ask of these type things when you're going through this process and that is this when you look at something just ask does this bring me joy is it something that I really enjoy having I'll give you one quick example of something that we kept that we've had discussions in our household and and I'll tell you that I'm I'm I haven't won these discussions it's not a win-lose but when when years ago my wife I've already shared with you she loves decorating for Christmas there's just a joy that she gets from that I may not receive quite as much joy but after she creates the environment there is just something in the household that it just nourishes the soul and I admire that I guess the thing maybe that I don't enjoy is helping get it all set up and things like that but anyway that's that's just part of my role and I I need to embrace that but years ago she was able to get um, a set of China it was Christmas China the only time you could use this China is at Christmas and what she did was she would set it up on the dining room table when the homes that we lived in and it would remain set up and and it just created an atmosphere an inviting atmosphere in the dining room and and so over the years we would have that set up and it would always be set up even when we would have dinner guests over we would wash it and then we'd, we would set the table up again and it just means something to her and to our family that it has a Christmas feel and it brings joy to her so in our storage unit our small little storage unit that we still have we have boxes of this Christmas china that is still there it is still there because it brings joy especially to my wife but to the rest of the family also and as long as she says it brings her joy then we will store that and we will keep that and so those are the questions you need to ask yourself and it could be that you've got housefuls of stuff that bring you joy but that's the question that you need to ask yourself and then finally the last question kind of related to it is this a blessing or a burden is it a blessing or a burden and like I was just talking about that China for my wife it's a blessing it's a blessing to her but if at any time if it becomes a burden then she'll probably say to me you know it's probably time for us to gift that to someone or to sell it 
or pass it on to a child or something like that. But uh, but there are many things I know when I when I ask that question of you and just kind of going to leave that with you as we wrap up this podcast, this episode, is just ask yourself if the things that you have, the possessions that you own, the things in your closets, your drawers and your storage facilities, the things parked in your garage or the things stored in your garage, just ask yourself, are they a blessing or a burden? If they're a blessing, embrace them, be excited about them, get them a good spot so they can stay with you. But if they're a burden, consider doing something with it, passing it on to someone else, blessing someone else with it, because what's a burden to you could be a blessing to someone else. So pass it along, sell it, give it away, take it to Goodwill, something like that. And, and I'll just tell you this, it'll be very liberating and, and it'll, it'll be a great feeling as you begin that process and get deeper into it. So this hasn't been a all-inclusive, obviously, episode related to downsizing or minimalism or essentialism, but I I hope that it's helped you a little bit. It's just a little bit more of the thought process, the mindset, and also the process that we went through to uh, get to the stage where we now are very mobile, very nomadic. We live in an RV, so we've got some things we're carrying around here, and then we've got a small storage unit. That's it. That's, That's the extent of our ownership of the things that we own, and we like that. We enjoy it. It's very freeing for us. And so I hope that you've gotten something from this. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for listening to the Seek, Go, Create podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, go down and rate it on the, the, the podcast platform that you listen to. Share it with others. You may know other people that, that might be blessed by this. And I appreciate you doing that. And I look forward to speaking to you on future episodes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Seek, Go, Create podcast, a part of the SGC network. For those looking for excellence, moving towards success, and creating something new, we are constantly discussing bold new topics and ideas here on the network, so be sure to subscribe to be notified when we post new episodes. We look forward to sharing more with you next time, but until then, enjoy the journey.